This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CMB Preferred. BFM 89.9, a very good morning to you. I'm Philip C and with me today in the studio is Wong Shaoning and this is The Morning Run. It is now 7.05 in the morning, Friday the 30th of December 2022. But first, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. It was a great day for the US markets. The Dow was up 1.1%, S&P 500 up 1.8% and the Nasdaq up a whopping 2.6%. Wow. Yes, US enjoyed a broad-based rally as data late fears of a supercharged job market would support a more aggressive policy path. But Asia, not so good. Nikkei was down 0.9%, Hang Seng down 0.8%, Shanghai down 0.4%, Singapore Straits Times down 0.5%. And because everybody's down, we must be up <laughs> in Malaysia. So our very own FBM KLCI was up 0.8%. As they say, when they go zig, we go zag. Now, for more on international markets, we speak to Tim Mulholland, President of TJM Limited Chicago. A very good morning to you, Tim. With two trading days left in 2022, US stocks are on track for its worst year since 2008. Now, the Nasdaq was the worst of the three indexes, losing 33% this year, albeit today was a good day for markets. Perhaps can you tell us why it did so badly in comparison to the S&P 500 and Dow? Well, I think that's one that's very, uh, you know, easy to explain in the sense that when the discount rate or let's say the 10-year note yields rose from one and a half percent to four percent, you know, I think with that from a DCF standpoint alone, that argues for a re-rating. So I think growth where earnings and all the good stuff is expected in the future as rates rise, that becomes less value, present value if you will. So, I mean, that was math. And you also had that uh, along with the fact that, you know, the bubble burst and similar to the way it burst, the tech bubble burst in 2000. In fact, I'm following that analog. I have been following that analog now for over a year. Uh, But, you know, so you have those things come, you know, came to, you know, earnings got stretched, sales got stretched, um, valuations um, got stretched, but maybe not as much. But, you know, it's one of those deals when rates rise, it ain't good for growth. And uh, were you happy with the jobs data, Tim? Because it came in in line with the expectations, right? Initial unemployment claims rose slightly to 225,000. Uh, so does this mean that the pace of Fed hike is going to be pretty much as expected? Um, I think that the jobless claims number, even though it did uh, tick up a little bit, it's still very historically low. Um, so I don't think that's going to really impact anything or change the Fed. In fact, what I think is, probably going to really got the Fed's attention was the, the uh, retail sales in December, what they mm. reported for the Christmas season, just extremely robust. So, you know, I think we're still on track here for that, what, 5.1, uh, you know, 5.1% uh, average funds rate here, uh, for peak funds rate, terminal rate. I think that's very much uh, uh, in line and forthcoming. But with the exception with the past few days and the good data, you know, for December, it really has been a centre recall rather than a centre rally. So how much was the sell-off due to fears that the reopening of China would spark a COVID resurgence? Do you think markets will pick up next January? Um, They're going to probably try to pick up. And I think that the COVID response, although, you know, from, you know, a couple years ago history, I could see where the concern is. But, you know, I'm not so certain. uh, And I do think that China has... You know, the reopening, I think, is going to add, you know, I, I think to some growth. Uh, there's no no question about that. But to me, the big the big issue um, on the horizon here are earnings. And I think earnings, um, 
expectations here, or at least estimates need to come down. They're at 230 right now. I know Morgan Stanley's at like 195. So at 195, at a current multiple, forward multiple of around 16, you're still talking about 3,100 in the uh, S&P 500, which is, you know, quite some distance from where we near 3850 or so today. So I think what you have to watch are earnings. And I think you're going to see that. And that's going to be perhaps the Achilles heel next year. But I don't see any rate relief whatsoever. The Fed gets to the terminal rate, they hold them there. And then my feeling is the 10 year note yields continue to gravitate towards the funds rate. I know the market's really convinced here that, you know, people want to buy duration. Uh, which incidentally, growth stocks are duration, which you don't want that stuff in rising rate environments. So I, I'm going to stay the course here. I think the analog, the 2000, 2002 analog that I have been following right now, will argue for, you know, still sell the rally next year. Okay. So it's 700 points from where we are. S&P 500 is 3,850, like you say, right? And if the target is 3,100, clearly equities is not the place to be. But where can we park our money for 2023 then? Well, I mean, I think there's some places that, you know, I mean, I think some EM opportunities. I, I still like the energy. I like the commodities. I know Goldman called for a big commodity boom next year. I still think the supply demand argues for that. And quite frankly, cash isn't trash anymore. You know, in you know, I've been doing ladders in one year, let's say 18 month ladders, but one year treasury bills will pay you about 4.8 per 4.75 percent and probably five percent uh, very soon. So to me, that's not trash anymore. And I, I kind of like to, uh, you know, take advantage of some opportunities in the fixed income area. So going analog, going EM, going commodities, going cash, is Bitcoin FTX part of that whole story then for 2023? <laughs> Well, let me tell you one thing that is, uh, you know, amazing. The uh, I think Bitcoin, you know, became a long duration growth, you know, became very speculative and very, um, you know, traded 100 percent correlation with the Nasdaq. Higher rates kind of killed that. The FTX thing was just pure, uh, you know, to me, I mean, it was involving the trading, but it really was the uh, opposite of what Bitcoin and crypto stands for. Decentralization, FTX was a centralized exchange. Uh, and, uh, you know, and lending and they lent. So I, I think it's uh, if you looked at the Bitcoin chart and said and a long term chart and didn't know anything and say, OK, when did FTX happen? You wouldn't be able to tell. There's just the so Bitcoin. much <laughs> volatility, right? Uh, but well, so I think it's, but it's still OK. I think it's going to base like it did several years ago. Okay, Tim, I have a question in terms of emerging markets, right? Because it, it, it could range from Asia, it could range all the way to South America. Is there a particular emerging market that you think the valuations look great, there's a good story? Which is it? You know, it's interesting because how I get exposure, because I don't know enough to be the individual picker, but my guess is commodity producing nations with uh, trade surpluses, number one. Uh, I think that that argues very well. And, you know, it's funny, the EM, you have to like, you have to involve China, which to me is kind of, you know, kind of silly given China's the second biggest economy in the world. However, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I'm looking at companies that are probably energy and commodity uh, sensitive. And also you're going to see, I think the dollar has peaked uh, and probably will you know, reassert itself on the downside, which will really be a headwind. So it's emerging market value anywhere where you can argue for value, I think. And also even emerging market uh, debt, non-hedged, 
non-dollar back to dollars that means i think is very uh i think attractive so i think there's going to be some points i like the metals i like uh gold you know i know a lot of that's kind of controversial but i do like gold and i've been a gold bug for some time mm. but that's kind of where i'm at but the king of all commodities is oil and the, the u.s energy sector has been a lone standout in terms of performance on the s&p 500 up 60 percent 2022 can it maintain that momentum next year you know it's, it's a fortune i was fortunate to have bought these energy stocks after the uh, 2020 lows, which was, I don't know, maybe pure luck or whatever. But uh, I, what I've noticed and what was paying, why they paid was because of their free cash flow. And because they're not spending as much in CapEx, their CapEx spending, and they're returning more money to shareholders with buybacks and dividends. And of course, why are they going to commit to big projects, billions of dollar projects, when you know, basically there's a, a war on fossil fuels. However, they are investing their CapEx, I think, more and more into renewables. I think they, they're still a very good story. And I think it's really, it's their free cash flow. Their free cash flow is real. Uh, unless we go into a deep recession and, and oil prices totally collapse, which I don't see happening. Uh, I think they're still good, although they are a little bit more expensive. So you got to be a little careful and probably work into position. Tim, as always, Thank you so much for your insights and wishing you and your family a happy new year. That was Tim Alhallen, president of TGM Limited Chicago, giving us a very nice, succinct roundup of what happened this year and especially what to expect next next year. Okay, run away from equities because <laughs> if you believe in the S&P 500 target of 3,100, it's a 700-point drop. Uh, he does recommend emerging markets, energy, commodities, yeah. uh, cash is not trash and have a look at fixed income. Now, what's interesting is he really likes EM where there's commodity with trade surplus. And you know who has that? We do. Yes, Malaysia. <laughs> so maybe it's our time to shine for change, albeit on a year-to-date basis, we are down close to 5%. Not well, too to bad. Be, not too bad. Everybody, I think, didn't do well, with the exception of Singapore. Yeah, Singapore has done exceptionally well. I'm very uh, jealous of them. We always look at their currency, 3.2888. We can't afford to go to Orchard Road and see the lights. Yeah, well, no, excuse me. You know, just walk there. But anyway, <laughs> besides the point, I think one of the key data points that I think has been driving markets is the jobless benefit numbers, right? Because the number of Americans filing new claims of unemployment benefits actually grew higher last week, with claims for state unemployment benefits rising about 9,000 to a seasonally adjusted 225,000. And I think that's why markets the past few days have been responding relatively positive to this data because it's giving a bit more clarity to the Fed. Yeah, but I think they're not going to change their terminal rate target, right? Mm. So it's going to be above 5%. Is it going to be 5.1, 5.2? It's pretty much there. I think the idea, or at least markets are thinking, okay, there, there isn't much more to go, so that's the positive. Yeah. Provided there is no more surprises when it comes to macroeconomic data coming out of US. But, you know, the macroeconomic data is all over the place because you've got retail numbers still rather strong. But on the other side, you have housing sales down, you have car sales down. So maybe Americans are holding back when it comes to big ticket items because, hey, the cost of it has gone up, the, as, as in the financing cost of it has gone up. But you probably still have money in your wallet because you still have a job, so you're prepared to spend but on smaller ticket items. I think also because there was that whole stimulus and I think apparently American saving rates are also still relatively robust. They're learning to be Asians. They're learning to be Asians. Uh, and the interesting thing I feel is that the data, as you talk about, Shawning, is so noisy. When are we able to step back and look at the proper trends? It's we just, can't, it's we, markets. It's can't, right? It's markets. You're just looking at it on the flip, on, on the immediate screen and just kind of responding behind. But the data needs to see a longish trend, isn't it? To no, see where it the, lands to. The issue about markets is that 
that it's all about forward-looking, right? So yeah. you look at the current data, which is lagging, yeah. to try and make a forecast of what's happening in the future. And I think that's always going to be the dilemma here. Ooh, whether lagging le- indicators become leading indicators, that is the question and something we'll continue to discuss in 2023. But up next, we'll cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. The World Market Watch is brought to you by CIMB Preferred. Moving forward with you. Visit cimbpreferred.com.my for their preferential services beyond banking. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.